Go ahead and take your Bibles out and turn with me to the book of 1 John, the third chapter. A couple of things that were not in our announcements that uh, I want to make you aware of. First of all, immediately following this service, about a 10-minute meeting for Closet Angels. Anybody that would like to volunteer or current volunteers, it'll be brief. Uh, but that'll be taking place uh, in the nursery suite immediately following our service. And then number two... All of our life groups tonight and the businessmen's Bible study in the morning are not going to meet. Uh, we're just going to take the, uh, we're afraid to get people out. It's supposed to be starting to get bad about six. Uh, and just afraid that by the time we're getting out of that, we we'll hate for somebody to slip at somebody's house and uh, get hurt uh, or up here at the church. So tonight, none of our life groups will meet. Uh, and uh, we're going to just keep praying for more rain and moisture because we need it. And uh, our businessmen's Bible study will not meet early in the morning either. Before I start my sermon today, I've, I've debated on how to do this and, and um, when to do this. Just want to give you a little background of why Derek's testimony last week was so important. Uh, last Wednesday morning, we were sitting in the office. Matt and Josh and I were visiting and uh, just kind of going over some things about life groups and small groups. And a lady who is not a member of our church walked in. And I said, uh, you know, Sean, can I talk to you a minute? I said, sure. And she said, uh, my husband and I have been through this book four times. We, uh, it's a great uh, book of prayer. We like to give it to you. We just feel led of, of, of God to give it to you and encourage you that we, you know, to, to read through it. And it's a book. Several months ago, I told you to pick up a book or suggested that you pick up a book by Mark uh, Batterson uh, entitled uh, The Circle Maker. Uh, this is a companion book to his. It's called Draw the Circle. It's a 40-day prayer challenge. Uh, and it's basically about praying for revival, which fits with where God has really been speaking to my heart lately. And, uh, and so the book, you know, it's kinda, it kind of piqued my interest. And, and uh, I have about four books that I'm reading right now because I'm ADD and I can't read any one book at any one time. And, uh, and so I just thought, yeah, this is a book I'll read. Well, I picked it up and I just began to go through the first uh, chapter. And God really began to speak to my heart. And then later that afternoon, Matt came in and said, uh, Derek uh, feels like God's given him a message that he wants to uh, share and, and give a testimony he'd like to share. And I said, that's fine. So Derek came in Wednesday night after church. And basically Derek's message was he wanted to challenge the church to pray for revival. And I thought, wow, uh, God doesn't work in coincidences. So this book coming in Wednesday morning, Derek sharing that Wednesday night must be something I need to do. And I just began to read through the first chapter of this book, went home, uh, told Laurie, gave Laurie a copy of Derek's testimony. I said, you need to read the first chapter of this book. And God just began to affirm some things to me. Why is that important? It's important because we have a problem in our country. It's important because we have a problem with denial in our country about where we are as a nation, about what's taking place. We have a problem in our White House and our president when we cannot call uh, Islamic terrorists Islamic terrorists. We have a problem when we cannot say that Christians are being killed because of their Christian faith. And we have a problem in our society today. And, and the reality is, uh, the voice of the martyrs will tell us that on any given day, about 7,000 Christians around this world will either lose their lives or be persecuted for their faith. This year alone, they estimate close to 200,000 Christians will lose their lives all over this world because of one reason, they are Christians. And it's time for God's people to begin to do what our government will not do. And that is to begin to pray for the destruction of ISIS. Uh, I, I don't care how God does that. I don't care if that's leading the leadership of our country to send 5,000 Marines over there to take care of this problem in about two weeks. 
I don't care if God begins to awaken from within ISIS some Damascus Road experiences like Paul had and their leadership begin to be led to the Lord because God speaks to their heart and they begin to stand up for their faith and, and those men and, and women who do not buy into what the gospel is really about begin to be converted because of who Jesus Christ really is. I don't care how God does it. But you and I need to begin to pray for the destruction of ISIS. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 20, God says, I will send the hornet before my people into the land and drive out those who come against you. And it is time for us, I don't know what the hornet is, but it's time for us to begin to pray for the hornet. Number two, we need to begin to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Psalm 122 verse 6 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And and it's time for God's people to begin to stand up and do that. And here's how I want to challenge you to do it. I want you to do it and us to do it as we begin to pray for God to revive this nation and begin to revive his church. And I want to challenge you. We bought 40 of these books. Uh, We have about 38 left. They're $10 a piece. It is a 40-day prayer challenge to pray for revival Our theme verse for this prayer time is going to be Nehemiah 1, verses 6 through 9. And I want to share with you just very quickly, Nehemiah 1, 6. Let your eyes be open, your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. I confess the sins we have committed against you. Both I and my father's house have sinned. Verse 7, we have acted corruptly towards you and have not kept the commands, statutes, and ordinances you gave your servant Moses. Please remember what you commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But, verse 9, but if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles are banished to the ends of the earth, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I have chose my, to have my name dwell. That's Nehemiah 1, 6 through 9. And here's, the, here's what I'm going to do. You don't have to buy a book. You can be a part of this anyway. But at 106, starting tomorrow at 106, whatever you're doing, stop what you're doing, get on your knees, and begin to pray. Pray that God revive this nation. Uh, there are 40 days of study and, and stories about prayer in here if you want to buy one of these books and use it. Uh, but pray that God revive this nation. Pray that God destroy the ISIS, however he sees fit to do that. Uh, Deuteronomy 7.20, and pray for the peace of Jerusalem, Psalm 122.6. But Nehemiah 1.6, 106, whatever you're doing. If you're driving, stop. Okay, don't pray with your eyes closed. Don't get on your knees while your car's moving, okay? Pull over and pray. But it's time for Christians to begin to unite together in prayer for God to begin to do in our world what he wants to do. Or we're not going to have a nation left to leave to the kids and young people that are coming along behind us. So I want to challenge you to begin to pray those prayers. 106, uh, every day for the next 40 days to pray uh, for those things. Now, in keeping with that and what it means for us as we move to uh, the book of 1 John, the third chapter, we began to look last week at redemption and what it means for God to have redeemed us and how we are to focus on being in Christ more than doing. And when we focus on being in Christ, 
the doing flows out. If you, you and I are in Christ, it's like planting a corn seed. When you plant a corn seed, you get a corn plant. When you plant a, a tunip seed, you get a tunip. When you plant a, you know, a, an okra seed, you get okra. I mean, if you and I are in Christ, planted in him, what happens is the spirit of God begins to flow through us. And so John picks up that account in the verses we're going to look at today. Last week we looked at verses 7 through 10 of chapter 3. This morning we're going to look at verses 10 through 15 and really kind of focus in uh, particularly into verses 11 and 12 and, and to realize what it means to love life. How do I love this life that God has given me? What's it mean for me to love life in a way that honors Christ, that honors God in everything that I do, regardless of what everybody else does in the world. My call is to do this. My call is to love life as John challenges me here and, and that is demonstrated by my love of the Lord and my love of the Word of God and its, its application in everything I do. So if you have your Bibles open there to 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, if you would stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the Word of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother, and why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. You may be seated. May God bless his word this morning as we study it together. Would you please join me as we pray? Father, I ask you in these next few moments just to speak to our hearts. Father, help us not to be arrogant enough to believe that this doesn't apply to us, that this doesn't apply to me, that it, it, it doesn't uh, have any relevance for where I am today. God, I pray you speak to my heart. I pray in all humility today, Father, you use me to challenge your body, this part of the body of Christ, uh, to rise up and begin to be those who love life your way. God, speak to our hearts and help us today to honor you in everything that we do. And we pray this in Jesus Christ's most precious name. Amen. When you study the Word of God, the thing that we have to remember is, and, and, and I, I, I wish that I could just periodically pick verses here and there that I could pull out of context and use to proof text what I want to proof text, okay? It'd be really easy to go through and find words to prove what I want to prove, but you can't. You have to be consistent interpreting, allowing the Word of God to interpret the Word of God and allowing the Word of God to be consistent and in its content. And so you can't take verses 11 and 12 out of the context of verse 10. So we're going to start in verse 10. We're going to look through what John says to us today. Verse 10, he says, this is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother. Verse 11, for this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Now, there's a couple of things that we're going to look at. Verse 11, verse 12. And the first thing that I want you to see in this passage of Scripture, the thing that John says, and remember, John is writing to a church in particular, probably the church that he has pastored at some point in time at Ephesus. Probably that's who he is writing. We don't know that for sure, but it's a church that he is familiar with, people he's familiar with. Uh, he's writing to them and ultimately to the church as a whole, to you and I about what we're supposed to do. And this is what he says. God's message hadn't changed. Look at what he says in verse 11. Very plain, very simple. He writes it out and says, for this is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love 
one another. By the time John's writing this, he is probably one of the only original disciples that's left. At this time, at point in time, John is probably the oldest, if not one of the oldest living members of the New Testament church. At this day and time, average life expectancy was about uh, 50 years. You just didn't live very long. Times were tough. Life was hard. John, by the time he's writing this, is probably some 60 years past his calling. And if you uh, believe, as most scholars do, that John was called into the ministry at his father's boat at about age 14, that puts John at about 74 at the youngest. Okay, he could be older by the time that this is being written. So John is an old man in the faith, okay? I mean, he has been around a long time. He's been serving God consistently for 60 years in his ministry. He's one of the original 12 disciples, probably the only one that's left, and he's writing this from, uh, from a, a position probably of exile in Patmos. He's probably been kicked out of his life because of who he is in the faith. And this is what John says from the beginning. Nothing has changed in our understanding of the gospel message. Love one another. Nothing's changed. Nothing as, there's nothing new under the sun as Solomon writes in, in, in Ecclesiastes. John is saying, look man, the message that started in Genesis in the garden is the same message that's going on today and this is it. Love one another. God's message for you, the message that Jesus shared with us, all of those things are consistent and what he says is we must love one another. Notice he doesn't say they must. He doesn't say the church must. He says we must. He, he writes this in a Greek first-person plural. We, me, you, I, we're a part of this. And he says it is something that is to be consistent. It is to be continual. It is to be present. It is to be active. You and I must love one another. That's the message from the beginning. You and I need to grasp what Jesus Christ revealed to John that John writes and puts down here. It's, it's what Jesus said in the shadow of the cross in, in the gospel of John. We, hear, we see it recorded in the 13th chapter, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if what? If you have love for one another. The New Testament church stood the world on its ear. Why? Because they took Greeks and Jews, Pharisees and tax collectors, male and female, slave and free, master and servant, rich and poor, and they united them together under one cause, which was to change people through the relationship that they needed to Jesus Christ. The world looked at these people who came from polar opposites and said, wow, there is something to what's going on. Because they love one another. And that's what it's supposed to be. You and I need to grasp the idea that love for our brother or our sister in Christ is the basic element. It's not an expensive add-on. It's not something that we get after we've discipled ourselves or studied. It's a basic thing. I'm amazed today. You go buy a new car, and one of the things that it shows you is basic equipment, not an add-on, is air conditioning. How many of you remember a time when that was an addition? I remember a time. My first car didn't have air conditioning. My first car had a convertible top. It was a 1971 Super Beetle. And the way I got air conditioning is I put the top down and drove 55 miles an hour. That was air conditioning, okay? It didn't have a heater that worked either. So that was a whole other story. But, but you know... It, air conditioning, you just take it for granted. It's going to be a part of a vehicle that you buy. Well, we need to begin to understand that love for one another 
is, it's, a it's just standard equipment. It's not something I grow into. It's not something that I get to one of these days. It's what ought to be the characteristic of my life. And it ought to be taking people who are polar opposites and putting them together. And the other thing is it ought to be the right kind of love. You see, the world is preaching a love today that's not what God's really talking about here. You know, they're preaching love. If you love me, if you love me, you'll let me do whatever I want to do. Really? I'm glad my parents didn't love me like that. I'm glad my parents loved me enough to discipline me and to correct me. And you see, love, the world's eyes today is love that just, whatever, whatever goes. That's not love according to the word of God. See, loving somebody according to the word of God means that I might have to hold them accountable to what the word of God says. It means I might have to stand up in their life and say, hey, I love you enough to tell you that you're living outside the will of God and that's sin. And God doesn't want you to live in sin. It means that I might have to love them enough to let them go and to begin to pray a prayer of, of God's discipline upon their life. That's a tough prayer to pray. God, discipline them. I, I used to pray for my dad all the time because my dad, as far as I know, is not a believer. Okay, He kind of quasi-believes. He kind of hangs around. And I, I used to pray. I've not prayed this prayer in a long time, but I used to pray, God, send an atomic bomb act of God into his life. God, you break him. Whatever it takes, break him. whatever it takes, that he might know you. That's a tough prayer to pray for somebody that you love. But see, that's what love, the word of God says, is love. It's not tolerating evil. It's, not laying, it, it's holding them accountable to the standards of the word of God. It's, it's sacrificing ourselves because we love them, because we understand what it means to walk in a relationship with them. It means sometimes letting them go and just putting them in God's hands. We've just come through Valentine's Day, and Valentine's Day is really big about the words, I love you, okay? And it's really good to say, I love you. Let me hear me say that, okay? I'm not knocking Valentine's Day. I was pleased and enjoyed to note that the longer they say you've been married, the less you have to do. All the wives are shaking the no, and all the men are saying amen, you know? It's just a, but, but, um. I want you to understand love is not a noun. Okay, love in its purest form is a verb. And a lot of times we'll say I love you with a box of expensive chocolates or roses. You know, maybe, maybe you bought one of those big stuffed teddy bears to give your, your you know, spouse, your, your, your wife or your husband. I don't know how you said I love you, but, but Valentine's is one of those times where we focus on that and we do something tangible to show love. And back in February of 2013, there was a lady named Melissa uh, DeGaso Jones, this lady who she demonstrated her love for her husband by giving him a kidney. And, and, you know, her surgeon said, man, she puts the rest of us to shame. And this is what she said, I'm giving all the love that I have. That's, that's how she saw this as an act. And her surgeon and her husband, all of them, they talked about the sacrifice that she was making. And she corrected them. She said, no, you don't understand. This isn't a sacrifice. This is an investment. She, she, said, she said, without it, there can be no us. I'm not just giving for your life. I'm giving for our life. I'm investing. That's exactly what the word of God says. He who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but humbled himself and 
made himself nothing, becoming as a man and being found in the form as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. God loves you. And, and, and one of the greatest ways that we demonstrate that we understand that is by taking the love of God that he has given us and, and we begin to show itself first. And remember what we talked about last week, it starts with doctrine. It starts with the right idea. And that's what doctrine means, real ideas. Man, don't get hung up in religion. Okay, doctrine is the right idea and it starts with the right idea. This is what love is and then it moves to practice. When my doctrine is right, when my thought is right, when my heart is right, all of those things, it just begins to flow out of my faith. Uh, doctrine first, then practice. God's message hadn't changed. But secondly, this, uh, the second part that this challenges with, it shows us very plainly, is that it is a matter of faith. It's not a matter of works. Look at verse 12. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and a murderer, his, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Notice, and go back sometime and read in Genesis 4 the story of Cain and Abel. Both brothers did religious works. Cain came to worship God. Cain brought some of the fruits of the ground. Now, his gift wasn't accepted. Why? We aren't told for sure. I think it's because he didn't bring the best, the first choice, the first product. It may have been because he chose to bring produce and not borrow, buy, barter for an animal, a blood sacrifice from his brother Abel. Okay, We don't know for sure why his gift wasn't accepted. We just know it wasn't accepted. But, but the reason it wasn't accepted, it says very plainly, is because of the attitude of his heart. It wasn't the work. Why did he murder him, John says? Because his brother's works were righteous. Abel's works were righteous. That word for righteous is a word that means straight or just. His heart was right. God had said, worship me this way. Abel came and worshiped God this way with a right heart. Cain, on the other hand, came probably under compulsion. He didn't want to do it. This wasn't the way. God, yeah, I'll worship God how I want to worship God. I'll, I'll do what I want to do. I, I'll be who I want to be. His heart wasn't right. In fact, the Bible says his works were evil. And that doesn't mean that it means his character was off. He was out of sync with God. He had a bad heart. That's what that word evil there means. It, it means a bad heart. His works were bad, not because they were bad works. His works were bad because his heart was bad. We have to have a heart that is right with God. It's not a matter of works. It's a matter of faith, right heart. Faith, belief, trust that God is who he says he can be. And notice sometimes if you go read the story, people won't say the Old Testament was law and not grace. Go read the account of Cain and Abel. What did God say? Cain, you need a do-over. You need, you need a do-over. Hey, Cain, I want you to have a do-over. I want you to come again. But Cain, be careful because evil's crouching at your door. It doesn't have to be there, Cain. You can come back. We can start over. Grace is there. Oh, I want you to have a do-over, Cain. But the Bible says that Cain chose to listen to his inner voice, to himself. And because he chose to listen to himself, 
Jealousy began to foster in his heart. Jealousy led to anger. That anger led to rage to the point that he planned his brother's murder and then lied about it. Because of that, he is called the son of the evil one. Not that Satan spawned him, but that his heart chased after the things of Satan and the world, not the things of God. Gospel of John, the 8th chapter, 44th verse, Jesus said that Satan has been a murderer from the beginning. It says that he, he, when he speaks, he lies because he is the father of lies. And that's who Cain chose to follow. You and I have a choice. We can choose to follow after the things of God and, and be right in our heart, or we can choose to follow after the things of the world and say, no, I'm going to determine what I'm going to do. In his book, Creature of the Word, Matt Chandler writes this, heaven is not for people who just want to skip hell. See, that's the problem, guys. We've begun to believe it. Heaven's just our get out of, it's just our get out of hell ticket. Heaven is not for people who just want to skip hell. Heaven is reserved for those who love Jesus, who have been rescued by him and long to praise him. If some, someone doesn't have much use for praising him now, it is foolish to think they are ready for heaven. past week, a guy named Rob Bell, who used to be pastor of Mars Hill Church. Mars Hill was one of those churches back in the early, late 1990s and 2000s. Man, it was the Saddleback. It was a Willow Creek. It was one of the largest churches in the nation. It was reaching people for Christ, and Rob Bell stood in the pulpit, and he preached the gospel. I'm telling you, you go back and look at some of his sermon outlines from that day and time. They would be, they would be sermon outlines that would, that would rival anything that, that I, I've ever preached. A couple of years ago, he wrote a book basically saying that hell doesn't exist. Hell's just a figment of our imagination. God never conceived hell, nor did he design hell. Just last week, he came out on Oprah. He and Oprah have teamed up, and he came out, and his, I'll paraphrase his quote, but you can read it online if you want to, but basically, he said something to this effect. The church, speaking of the body of Christ as a whole, the church is very close, only moments away from embracing same-sex marriage. We are evolving in this area. And if we continue to use letters that are 2,000 years old as our authority, we will lose relevance in society. Here's a 2,000-year-old letter, folks. And it is still relevant for God, life, and faith in this world today. It is truth without mixture of error. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is totally true from Genesis to Revelation. It is the word of God. It is profitable for correcting and rebuking and training and righteousness so that the man of God, the child of God, the woman of God, the teenager of God may be thoroughly equipped and built up for everything that God wants to do in your life. It's God's word. I am not the authority. But see, the world today says that they are. 
And, and when people like Rob Bell make that statement, what he is saying is, is the exact same thing that Cain said. I'm choosing to, 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 to make the decision. And they're buying into the same lie that Satan told Adam and Eve in the garden. When they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the moment you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will become like a God. You see, folks, Satan doesn't have anything new. He doesn't have any new tricks. He just repackages it and tries to sell the same lie to the next generation. You and I are not God. And we don't get to decide what is the authority for our life. God's word is the authority for our life. And the only solution today for this world and for this society is for you and I to begin to have a relationship that has changed our heart, a relationship that is, is, is corrected because the reality is in the world today, the problem is not the world, the world just being what the world is supposed to be, but the problem is the church, the body of Christ is not being who God has called us to be. It's us. And that's why we need to begin to pray for revival. That God would begin to revive our hearts. Because you see, this world has a heart issue and dads have heart issues and mom have heart issues and kids have heart issues. It's the issue of the heart. And the only thing that's gonna change the heart is a relationship to Jesus Christ. We are not gonna find a heart change in the Republican Party or the Independent Party or the Democratic Party. We're not gonna find the change that God wants to do in people's lives through government or through laws. It is gonna be through a relationship to Jesus Christ and Jesus alone will change their hearts. That's what we've got to realize today. It comes from us beginning to say God is gonna be the authority. His life is gonna be the, the authority for my life is gonna be his word. And, and it comes down to how I answer the question, is God really God? And have I surrendered myself to his lordship, to his authority over my life and allowing everything else to be controlled by the spirit of the living God using the living word of God to guide my life? That's it. Is Christ really lord of my life? Max Lucado told the story a couple of years ago of a young man who came at the close of the service. His pastor was standing at the front and Close of the service, he came down very late in the invitation and he walked up and he took his pastor by the hand. He said, Pastor, what can I do to have peace in my life? And the wise pastor looked at him and very quickly said, It's too late. You can't do anything. The startled young man looked back at his pastor and he said, Well, you mean it's too late? It's too late for me to have peace? It's too late for me to be saved? The pastor looked at him and said, no, son. It's just too late for you to do anything about it because Jesus did it all on the cross 2,000 years ago. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow 
That makes me white as snow No other fountain I know Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's it, guys. In the book of Revelation, the 12th, pa- uh, 12th chapter, this same John, writing now for sure exiled to Patmos, says this, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah have now come. Because the accuser of our brethren has been thrown out, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives in the face of death. Therefore, rejoice, O heaven, and you who dwell in them. They didn't love this life. Cars, houses, boats, jobs, money, wealth, fame, fortune, power, prestige. They didn't love. They didn't love their life so much to shrink in the face of death. They just stood up and said, I believe that Jesus is it. And then they were martyred for their faith. It's time for us to love life. How? By dying the first death. Dying to ourself. To our way of life, to our vision of lordship and surrendering to him as Lord alone he is the authority his word is true and so am I going to love life his way and not shrink from death to myself that he might be Lord There's some of you here this morning, and the honest truth is it's time to swallow your pride. It's time to quit playing the charade. It's time to really answer the question. We talked about those tests last week. Am I really in the faith? It's time to answer the question. Am I really in the faith? There's some dads here this morning that need to be men of courage. and need to stand up and say, you know what? I need a relationship to Jesus Christ. It'll change me forever. And I need to start being a man of God in my home. There's some, some wives here today, some moms here today who need to say it's time to quit playing around. It's time to quit, quit living a charade. It's time to be solid and sure that my life has been changed, that I am in Christ. And to claim the promise, Paul writes in Romans 10, that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And and today, there's some of you here this morning who need to say, I need a relationship to Jesus Christ. And that's what matters more than anything else. I'm I'm done with the world. There's some of us, we're saved, we know that. But lately, the message of the gospel has not been ringing true in our lives. 
It's been a while since we've been stirred up in the faith. It's been a while since that message has rung true in, in our daily life and the things that we do. And it's time to begin to let the gospel message ring true. And what we need to do is to get on our faces before God and say, God, forgive me. I confess my sin. And I want to be right before you. Some of us here today who need to honestly say, God, forgive me. Man, I've been loving the world and not you. And you're my authority. You're God, there is no other. And I want to be renewed in you. I want revival. I want to start in my heart. Guys, it's not about the sin of same-sex marriage, abortion, Adultery, pornography, tax evasion, gluttony, covetousness. It's not about any of that stuff. You can plug in whatever you want to plug in. Those are just some of the hot button issues of our day. But it's about this. Am I going to let Christ really be Lord? And his word really be the authority? Am I going to really surrender? to what he wants to do in my life.